I want you to come with me, please, the Old Testament to Psalm 133. Psalm 133. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious oil upon the head, running down the beard, the beard of Aaron, running down on the edge of his garments. It's like the dew of Hermon, descending upon the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord commanded the blessing, even life forevermore. Psalm 33 is a psalm of unity. It's believed that David, after many years of tensions and civil strife among the tribes of Israel, they had come into unity. It's reckoned that David penned this psalm at that time. And David described unity as something that was good, something that was pleasant. He talked about it being like two things. He said it was like the oil, the anointing oil that the high priest was anointed with that was over his head and on his beard and on his garments, right to the very skirts of his garments. He also said it was like the Jew, the Jew of Hermon that fell upon the mountains of Zion. Speaks of two things. Unity, therefore, is fragrant and it is fruitful. Unity is fragrant. How many times have we heard of somebody falling out with somebody and having a real ding-dong, a real squabble, and we said it created such a stink. Well, unity is the opposite. Whenever we're in unity, it's such a fragrance. It's a beautiful thing. Unity, of course, is very fruitful because, again, whenever we get into unity, we're much more effective and much more fruitful uh, in the kingdom. The anointing oil here uh, was something that was uh, permeative. It got into the very garments of the high priest and would stay in them. And he could, be, he could smell them if he would walk past. It would be wafting. And it would be something that uh, would be very productive. Jews, very productive thing. Jew refreshes and enlivens and it brings life and makes things grow. However, no matter how good and how pleasant the subject of unity is, that's not why tonight I've asked you to turn to Psalm 133. Instead, I want to look at this psalm, uh, which I believe reminds us of the life and the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. And David's description of the anointing of the high priest Aaron is a very apt description. It's a very lovely picture of the life and the ministry of Christ. Holy Spirit, uh, the oil Often the Bible speaks of the Holy Spirit. We talk about the oil of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is the one mentioned several times in the New Testament who seals us and who himself is a seal. And Christ's ministry, of course, was sealed by the Holy Spirit as our lives and ministries ought to be also. Speaks of his combination, his com commendation speaks of his appointing and his enablement and so forth. 
So I want us just quickly tonight to look at these four areas that the anointing oil touched on the high priest. And let's liken it to four areas in the life and the ministry of Christ who is our great high priest. Is that okay? That's, that's what we're wanting to do tonight. First of all, it says that the oil was on his head. And this speaks of the majesty of Christ, his headship, his lordship, his kingship. In John 1, 29 and 34, it talks about the Holy Spirit whenever Jesus is being baptized by John the Baptist in Jordan River, the heavens opened and the Holy Spirit descended as a dove and landed upon Christ and remained upon him, signifying that God was well pleased, signifying that the Holy Spirit had come to enable him, to commend him, and to anoint him. And so that was showing his headship and his lordship, his majesty. In Hebrews 13 and 20, it talks about the great shepherd of the sheep. In 1 Peter 5 and 4, Peter talks about, calls him the chief shepherd. The writer to the Hebrews in chapter 4 calls him a great high priest. Paul in 1 Corinthians 2 calls him the Lord of glory. In Colossians 1.18, he calls him the head of the church. 1 Timothy 6.15, he says he is the blessed and only potentate. Hebrews 2 and 10, he's called the captain of our salvation. In 1 Peter 2.25, Peter calls him the shepherd and the bishop of our souls. Hebrews 1 and 6, he's called the first begotten. Romans 8.29, the firstborn among many brethren. And Revelation 19 and 16, he's called the king of kings and he's called the Lord of lords. So this speaks of his majesty. In Hebrews 2.9 and 10, it says, Therefore God has highly exalted him. And given him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus that every knee should bow and every tongue should confess that he is Lord. Every knee, every single knee. And it goes on to say, at the name of Jesus should bow of things in heaven, things in earth, and things under the earth. So three worlds bow to Jesus Christ. The Spirit world of the angels, the demonic world of the demons, and the Adamic world of human beings, all of them will bow the knee to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when it says that the head is anointed, it's speaking here of the picture of the majesty of Christ, the headship, the lordship, the kingship of Christ. But then if the head speaks I suppose of his divinity, the beard speaks of his humanity. So the beard speaks of the manhood of Christ. In 2 Samuel 10, an interesting little thing happens. David was told that the king of Ammon died. So out of courtesy and just out of the goodness of his heart, he sent some of his men to the king's son who had died. Uh, just to offer condolences and just to say, look, we're sorry, but your father has died. But this young king had gathered around him a lot of counselors. And they said, 
Well, he's not really doing this out of the goodness of his heart. He's really sending these men out to spy out our land. And so that young prince now, he takes matters into his own hands. And you know what he does? He cuts off half the beards of David's men. And he cuts off their long skirts. He cuts it off right up to their waist. And he embarrasses them. He humiliates them. To cut off half their beard was a great humiliation. In fact, whenever the word came back to David, David sent word back to those men. He says, listen, dwell in Jerusalem until your beards be full grown. I know, I know how bad this is. I know how embarrassing this is for you. Because the beard was a sign of manhood and maturity. In fact, the priests of God were not allowed to trim the corners of their beards because that's what the pagan priest did. And so this was a sign of manhood, of manliness and maturity. Jesus was the perfect man. He was perfect in every way. Think about him physically just for a moment. No sin to mar his body. Perfect total health. Never had a headache. Never had a pain. No disease. No sicknesses. No problems. Sure, there was times he was tired. He was human. And when he was tired, he needed to sleep. And he was hungry, he needed to eat. There was times he was bone-weary because they walked everywhere, the length and breadth of the country. And his day was a very long day, from early morning to late at night, most often. But apart from that, he was perfect. Wonderful specimen of manhood. Never had been a man on earth like this since Adam. Adam before the fall, he too must have had a perfect physical body. But of course sin destroyed that, didn't it? Sin brought in sickness and disease and infirmity and weakness and all the rest of it. But Christ, even though he came in the form of sinful flesh, yet his physical body was perfect. His mind was perfect. What a mind Jesus must have had. <laughs> when he was 12 years old, remember him sitting in the temple, debating with those learned doctors, men of great letters, the theologians of his day. And here's a 12-year-old sitting, talking to them, asking them questions, no doubt giving them answers. What a mind he must have had. What a heart. What a perfect heart. Again, no sin. And because no sin in his heart is no pride, no arrogance, no haughtiness. Such a humble spirit. Such a generous heart. Such a compassionate, merciful heart. Absolutely perfect in every way. Nothing weak or wimpish about Jesus either. He was a real man. He showed that whenever he was righteously angry. Whenever there was a true cause to be angry, he wasn't afraid to show his anger. 
when he had entered the temple and he saw those people making merchandise of those who had come to worship on the great feast days. And they couldn't bring their sheep and they couldn't bring their goats for sacrifice and so they would buy them there and they'd have to exchange their money and there was the money changers and those who were buying and selling and he, he despised it. He, they're making merchandise. It's a den of thieves they're making my father's house. And he, what did he do? He made a little whip of cards and he kicked over their tables and he beat them out of that place and he told them to get out. It's a den of thieves. Called those Pharisees a nest of vipers. Generation of vipers, he said, you are. <laughs> Go tell that fox, Herod. <laughs> and so whenever there was a cause, and it was righteous, and it was right to be angry against sin and hypocrisy and the Phariseeism, he wasn't afraid to show that. He wasn't weak or wimpish. And yet, and yet, he was led as a lamb to the slaughter. Offered no resistance. In fact, when Herod wanted him to talk, he wouldn't. Uttered not a word. What a wonderful man Jesus was on this earth. So the oil on his head speaks of his majesty. The oil on his beard speaks of his manhood. The oil on his garments. This is a picture of Christ's ministry. He didn't wear the robes of a ruler. He didn't wear the robes of that high priest. Could have, but he didn't. In fact, he was the high priest's garments in reality. Because what the high priest wore was a type of Christ who was to come. And Jesus was the substance of that which was the shadow. Do you realize that everything that the high priest wore, everything, every single thing spoke of Christ? I haven't time to go into this tonight. That would be a wonderful study just on its own. It's a marvelous study. That's why the Bible takes, the Old Testament takes so much time sharing it because it's looking forward to Christ. And that beautiful robe that was worn and the golden girdle and the linen ephod and the 12 stones and the mitre and the turban and the, the gold and it's just beautiful and the beautiful long white robe and what goes around the skirt that we'll talk about in a moment. All of that, all of it, speaks of Christ. And so when Christ came, he didn't wear the robes of a ruler. He wore the apron of a servant. He wore the apron of a servant. You remember how that in Mark's gospel, how that whenever they were getting ready for the final supper and how they came to that room. And the normal procedure would be, of course, that there would be a servant there and as they would walk into the room, gathering dust on their feet as they walked the journey that evening, the servant would wash their feet, refresh them before they would eat. So Jesus comes into the room with his disciples. They're talking. 
They're wondering what's going to be happening. And Jesus waits for a moment or two. And without saying anything, he goes over to the peg in the door and he takes off the servant's apron. It's called the towel in the Scriptures. It would be a long apron that would go right down to his feet. Then he got a basin of water. He goes to the first one and he bends down. He washes the feet and he dries them with the towel, with the apron. What a shock that must have been. Then he goes to the next one and the next one. Nobody's saying anything. They're realizing they're not saying anything. They come to Peter. Peter says, not me, Lord. Can't wash my feet. Peter's realizing what's happening here. And Jesus says, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part with me. Peter being the extremist says, well, now not just my feet, just bathe all of me. He says, no, I don't need to do that. Just your feet. And he says, you don't really understand what I'm doing, do you? He says, this is for your benefit. See, these were the ones who didn't think they were servants. These were the ones whose only thought is, what throne will I occupy when he comes into his kingdom? It's all they could think about. They, they, that's what they talked among each other about. What throne will I occupy? I'm a ruler. Everybody talks about us. We're the twelve. Everybody knows us. And Jesus saw that pride and that haughty spirit, and he taught them a great lesson. He says, you'll understand later. You'll be servants. And everybody that will ever be a ruler in God's kingdom will first of all have to be a servant. Before you ever wear the robes of a ruler, you better have on the apron of a servant. And in fact, even if you are a ruler in God's kingdom, you will have to have the apron of a servant underneath the ruler's robes. That's the lesson Jesus was teaching his disciples. Mark's gospel is the shortest gospel, but it's the busiest gospel. Somebody called Christ in the gospel of Mark the tireless servant. There's 19 miracles recorded in Mark's gospel. It seemed to be he was constantly going and doing. There was an urgency about his ministry, and yet there was no panic. But he's either going somewhere or coming back from somewhere or at somewhere. There was always something happening in Mark's gospel. It's a very busy, busy gospel. In fact, if you just read a couple of pages and try to put it together when he started that morning and when he finished that night, he packed a lot into one single day. No wonder at times he was tired. And at times he, he got into the boat and said, let's go to the other side and need a bit of a rest. Let's come apart for a while. And of course the people didn't have a boat, so they ran around to get to the other side where the boat was coming. And when they got off the boat, there they were. And what did he do? He ministered to them. He saw them as sheep without a shepherd, and he had compassion on them, even though he was physically tired. This is the tireless servant. This is the ministry of Christ. Key word, Mark's gospel is straightway. And straightway, you can see it over and over and straightway. 
You find that word in the AV a lot. Maybe you don't find it in the new translations the same. So it gives an image of Christ busy, 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 constantly on the go. And so the oil on Aaron's head is a type of the majesty of Christ. The oil in his beard is a type of the manhood of Christ. The oil on his garments is a type of the ministry of Christ. And the oil in the skirts of his garment. Right down to the very skirts of his garment. This speaks of the mercy of Christ. See, the high priest's garments were very special. All of them spoke of something. In Exodus chapter 28, we'll just read a little portion here. Just a few verses. Particularly speaking about this robe that the high priest wore. And especially what was around the bottom of it. Verse 31 of Exodus 28 you shall make the robe of the ephod all of blue. There shall be an opening for his head in the middle of it, and it shall have a woven binding all around its opening, like the opening in a coat of mail, so that it does not tear. And upon its hem you shall make pomegranates. You know what a pomegranate is? That little fruit. So this little woven representation of that little fruit. And upon its hem you shall make pomegranates of blue, purple, and scarlet all around its hem and bells of gold between them all around, a golden bell and a pomegranate, a golden bell and a pomegranate, upon the hem of the robe all around. And it shall be upon Aaron when he ministers, and its sound will be heard when he goes into the holy place before the Lord, and when he comes out, that he may not die. When the high priest had to go into the holy place, he better be right. He has better offered his sacrifice and make sure his sins are forgiven before he can go on behalf of the people. And so, you shall make a... No, we'll forget verse 36. When he ministers, its sound will be heard when he goes into the holy place and before the Lord and when he comes out that he may not die. And so while he's ministering in the holy place, the people outside will listen for the tinkling of the bell. And as long as they heard the bells tinkling, they knew that God had mercy in the high priest, and therefore he's going to have mercy in them. The high priest is still alive. And as long as the high priest is still alive, there is mercy for them. Can you see that as a picture of our great high priest? As long as he's alive, there's mercy for us. And he's living in the power of an endless life. Amen? And so there's mercy every single day for us. What a beautiful image this presents of us. Do you remember the little woman who did that series on the woman? Remember the little woman who came and she touched the hem of his garment? Maybe she was remembering the place of mercy. If I can just touch the hem of his garment, I shall be made whole. And she had to push and shove her way till she got there. But as soon as she touched the hem of his garment, he said, who touched me? I felt virtue go out of me. And the mercy of God touched that little woman. Boy, I really wanted to preach now on the high priest's garments after that. 
It's a wonderful thing. And so the skirts of his garment speaks of the mercy of Christ. Thank God we have an anointed head in heaven. Sits at the right hand of the Father. Advocate in heaven, Jesus Christ the righteous. But that anointing that fills heaven touches us on earth. Earth's his footstool, isn't it? See the anointing oil that was used in the Old Testament? It had to be made a very special way. In fact, in Exodus chapter 30, it tells a little bit about it. I'm not going to read all of that, but if you read from verse 22, all down there to verse 33, you'll see all the ingredients of this anointing oil. And there was frankincense and myrrh and cinnamon and cassia and olive oil and all kinds of things that were very aromatic. And so it must have smelled absolutely wonderful. And when you go farther on down where they had to make the incense in verse 34, and the Lord said to Moses, take sweet spices, stacte and oinica and galbanum and pure frankincense and these sweet spices, there shall be equal amounts of each. And you shall make of these an incense, a compound according to the art of the perfumer, salt it pure and holy. And you shall beat some of it very fine and put some of it before the testimony in the tabernacle of meeting where I will meet with you, and it shall be most holy to you. But as for the incense which you shall make, you shall not make any for yourselves according to its composition. Did you get that? The composition he gave them how to make this, it would only be used for him and for his glory. They couldn't make it for themselves. They could make lots of other ones, but not this one. But as for the incense which you shall make, you shall not make of it for yourselves according to its composition. It shall be to you holy for the Lord. And I could say not only H-O-L-Y for the Lord, but W-H-O-L-Y, holy for the Lord. And it shall be to you holy for the Lord. Whoever makes any like it, even to smell it, he shall be cut off from his people. Any fragrance of Christ in our lives, any anointing of God's Spirit upon us, any ability, any enablement, any of it, the glory's got to go to Him. As soon as we take the glory, that's when pride comes in. And so many over the years has lost their ministry, good ministry, because they took of the glory, the maid the incense and the oil for themselves. And they took the glory when the glory should have went to the Lord. And so that fragrant oil of the Holy Spirit that's on Christ also should be upon us. Not only the Holy Spirit grace the head, but He also graces the body. And the fragrance of Christ and His majesty and His manliness, His ministry, His mercy is to be found in our lives.
so that he gets the glory. Somebody looks at us as Christians. There should be a reflection of Christ in our lives. And something about how we live should reflect Jesus. That's what he wants. And all of us has been graced by his glory. All of us has been touched by his Holy Spirit. And as long as we are careful to give him the glory, then he'll keep gracing us and he'll keep giving of his glory upon us as long as it's reflected back to him. Amen. And so that anointing oil that came upon Aaron and his head and his beard and his garments, the skirt of his garments, that all speaks of Christ. And we have a part in that. Amen? The Old Testament's great, isn't it? I love the Old Testament because it reveals Christ in the Jew. See, people find it very boring to read Leviticus. You know why it's boring? Because you don't know what it's talking about. If you understood it was talking about Jesus Christ, it wouldn't be so boring. If you could see him in the high priest's garment, if you could see him in the tabernacle, if you could see him in the feast, if you could see him in all those things that there's dozens of chapters about, and you could see Jesus in it, it wouldn't be boring. You'd say, that's lovely, that's beautiful. That's Christ we're talking about, amen? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you tonight that you are altogether lovely that you are precious, that you are majestic. And we lift you up tonight and we say, Lord, be glorified and be glorified in us and through us. Help us, Lord, to realize that anything we have has been given by you to glorify. And so we thank you, Lord, for this tonight. And we bless you for your precious, inspired, and holy word. Lord, teach us your word. Show us Christ through your word, that he may be lifted up. And so we bless you. Now, Lord, as we look forward to next Saturday, we pray, Lord, for a blessing to be upon that field, that for every man and woman and child, every parent, every child, every grandparent that comes upon it, Lord, that your blessing will be there. And Lord, as we share Christ in the midst of it, that he will be glorified and that someone will see Jesus, that someone will find Christ in Jesus' name.